Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Welcome, everyone. Dr. Chan, always good to hang out with you. And today, no exception, we're talking about a new topic for us. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Colby Zongo with us. And, and we're going to be talking about a topic we haven't covered in detail before. We're going to be talking about sex. Yay! There it is. It's out there, right? It's great to have it out there. So, and, and you know, more importantly, we're going to be talking about sex and how to talk to your children about sex, which is something that we don't often do. And I think one of the things we have to acknowledge as a people is there's certain things we're comfortable talking about, certain things we're uncomfortable talking about, and this is one of them. And so we're going to be talking to Dr. Colby Zongle today about how do we talk to our children about sex. So Dr. Zongle, Welcome to Public Health Out Loud. Thrilled to have you. Why don't you Thank tell us a little you. about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I am what is called a sexologist, which is not always a term folks have heard before, but essentially it's just someone who studies about sex. And when I say sex, I mean sexuality. So not just necessarily behaviors, but things like our identities, our orientations, the way we love, the way we connect, relationships, intimacy, things like that. So um that's what I do. And I've been studying sexuality for, I think, like almost 15 years now. Um, and, you know, on the other side of that, then educating folks in a variety of ways about how they can, um, about sexuality, all topics, all of those things. Well, Dr. Zongle, I just want to extend my uh, gratitude for joining us. Thank you so much. Super thrilled you're here. Uh, as you may know, I uh, have uh, run, started an STD clinic here in the state of Rhode Island and focus a lot on sexual health. And a lot of my conversations with my patients focus on sex and sex behaviors. And uh, I imagine there's some overlap with what you do, but just uh, to what you were talking about, why, why do people get so uncomfortable talking about sex? What, it, what is it? Because I feel like sex is so natural. You know, it's, you know, it, obviously people have been having sex ever since right. the beginning. What makes it so uncomfortable for people to talk about sex? I mean, I definitely think there's like a lot of different things for each individual person that can make it uncomfortable. But in terms of like culturally, we don't often talk about it as the same way we talk about like what we ate for dinner or, you know, where we went this weekend. So if it's not normalized in our culture, then it, we don't feel comfortable being the person to talk about it. And it can be, obviously there are parts of sexuality that are very personal and very intimate. And I don't want to say secretive, although they can be secretive. So, it, you know, we, we don't often share all of our parts of sexuality all the time. So sometimes for some folks, it's, it's just, there can be a lot of shame in some of our experiences sexually. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, thinking about the way we were brought up, our values, parents, we could talk about religion, right? There's all of these other ways about like, I think there's a lot of shoulds about what sex and sexuality should look like for all of us. And if our experience of sexuality doesn't match those shoulds, then we can be a little nervous or hesitant to kind of share that and talk about that. Yeah. And Dr. Zongle, I'm thinking of, you know, I'm a pediatrician when I'm not working mm -hmm. here at the Department of Health. And I think about kids as basically being innocent and pure. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's really part of my job, though. When I deal with adolescents in particular, we talk about, are you dating? Are you having intercourse? These right. are normal conversations I have. You know, but I think, you know, we think about even younger children, like, you know, what are some advantages of, of talking to our kids about sex? You know, I mean, because one of the things I think about my own experience is I grew up as a kid, too. I learned about <laughs> this from friends and it wasn't always oh, accurate. Right. It really wasn't. It was uncomfortable. But this is how friends taught me. As a teenager, this is how I learned about this. It was weird. 
Right, for sure. And I think you brought up a good point that like children are seen as innocent and pure. Um, and sometimes we think that means that they aren't sexual, but those things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like we have a sexuality from the get-go, from the beginning. And again, like that doesn't mean we're having sex as children, obviously, but that means like we do have like a desire for touch and connection and ways that we build intimacy and bond with folks. And those are all parts of our sexuality as well. Um, so like you're mentioning, a lot of kids, children, like we are curious about sexuality because it's part of our experience. You know, we think of even like growing up, like puberty, we think of body parts, like all of those things. Like if, and if children aren't able to have a trusted person in their life to give them really honest, really factual information about some of those things they're curious about, they're going to go to other sources, right? So like you mentioned, like if you're getting information from friends and peers, they might not be the best sources of, you know, actual, factual, honest information. If you're going, I get especially nervous these days. Um, which is different from when I was growing up and probably different from when you were all growing up as well, because folks have, kids have such access to the internet. And if you just Google something like sex on the internet, you're not gonna, I promise you the top things that come up are not educational sources, right? Probably going to be pornography, things of that nature, which aren't educational, which aren't factual, which aren't, which don't include the information that we want our young youngsters that we love to have aren't gonna you know, teach them about how to keep themselves happy and safe and feel really secure um, and to have relationships that, you know, with others, be that when they grow up romantically or even when they're younger with like friends and peers that feel really good for them and pleasurable and bring joy and, and don't harm them and things like that. So I, I think that's the number one reason why I think it's really important for all of our youngsters to have somewhere someone they can trust um, to have these conversations with because they will be, get curious and they will look elsewhere if they don't, if that makes sense. No, I was reflecting, Dr. McDonald, as you were talking too about, you know, when did I first hear about sex? And I remember in third grade, uh, I learned about <laughs> sex behind the piano for my friends, you know, when they were saying, you know, they were talking about sex and I was, I didn't believe them. I'm like, shut <laughs> up. I'm like, that can't be real. And then, uh, and then of course, I, just, I you know, I was, my mind was blown and I remember that specifically, but uh, it's one of my life greatest ironies. I've often thought that now I'm, I work <laughs> in the field of sexual health, but I, I never officially got the talk, if you will, uh, just crazy. And, uh, you know, as I have a 10 and a 14 year old and I'll chat a little bit about that in, in a few minutes here. But uh, Dr. Songo, let me ask you this. Let's get to the why of this, uh, why this is so important. What happens? What do you see in your experience for uh, kids or adolescents that don't really have these conversations? How does this, what sort of adverse effects does this have leaving, leading into adolescence and, and, and young adulthood? Yeah. Um, and if it's helpful, I'll mention that I never got the talk either. And I kind of like jazz my mom all the time about it. Cause I'm like, now look, I talk about it all the time. Look what, you know, <laughs> if you want your child to be a sex educator, don't give them the talk. Cause then they're going to like grow up and be like, someone's got to talk about this. I'm going to be the one to do it. Right. Um, so yeah, but that's a great question. So why it's important to talk about sex with children is that what we have found and research literally shows that comprehensive sex education prevents things like abuse, bullying, it can promote self-confidence. And like I said, like healthy relationships for children, even when, you know, whether that's peers, when they're, I think of like elementary school students and obviously like, and then as they grow up and they start, you know, part of normal childhood adolescent development is 
exploring different types of relationships, whether that be romantic relationships, sexual relationships with folks. Um, and honestly, I'm also going to say like really comprehensive sex education through the lifespan also helps make really sexually healthy adults. Um, one of the things I do in my work is like coach clients who often like have challenges they're overcoming and really in relation to their sex life, whether that be, you know, a lot of shame they're experiencing, trauma. And some of those things could have been mitigated with really open, transparent, honest conversations and education when they were growing up as well. So I think the way we mold our kids to think about their sexuality really stays with them, can stay with them throughout not just their childhood, but as they become adults too. Because I think we can all agree that if we love little ones, we want those little ones to grow up to be able to have really, again, like pleasurable, joyous, safe, secure, relation, sexual relationships with you know, themselves, others. So that's something we all want. We would never like, even though it's sometimes uncomfortable to talk to say, for example, like a five-year-old, a six-year-old about age-appropriate sex education, most folks would agree that we want that five or six-year-old to grow up and be able to have a healthy, healthy, happy sex life when they become adults as well. You know, I think you really hit on a point, Dr. Zongel, that there's a lot of mystery we all live with, but quite frankly, demystifying things that are normal mm-hmm. is really in everyone's benefit. And I think you now hit on the topic of the how. Um, and I think it really gets to how do you have that conversation? And I think this is just an important thing. Like, you know, we, we've euphemized so much of life, right? The birds yes. and the bees, because quite frankly... I never heard that story and I don't even know how it works because, you know, birds and bees, they're different, right? And, and I think you also hear questions about, you know, people just don't want to have the conversation. They feel like it's awkward. They kind of dread this kind of conversation. Um, and maybe sometimes it's like, eh, maybe I'll just do this once and be done with this. And it's, it's really not healthy, I think, to have that conversation. But, you know, how should parents talk to, to sex with their, about how, how to talk to, to kids about sex? And then I guess the question gets to, is it a conversation different for boys or girls? I mean, what kind of tips could you give a parent who's listening in right now? So I think my biggest tip for parents is to not make it be a single conversation. So like I mentioned before, sexuality isn't something that like starts when we're seven or eight or hit puberty, right? Like sexuality is something that we are innately born with. We all have. So instead of making it this, I think this is helpful for parents too, because instead of like making this, this real big climactic scary conversation that we might spend time like dreading like I know even my friends with little ones are already talking about like Auntie Colby is going to have to come in and have the conversation when they're age appropriate but it's really I think a lot less anxiety driven to have tiny like learning opportunities and moments like as they come along right so I think even to me that means like when children ask questions, which they do, right? And I don't have kids, so y'all are welcome. But questions come at the most awkward moments, by the way. Like, <laughs> I mean, I tell you, when stop and shop, right. you're doing grocery shopping, there you go. You know, and it, but I think there's a lot to be said for, quite frankly, answering questions as they come, doing it yes. from a developmental standpoint. Right, yes. Recognizing, hey, you're a little one. I'm going to give you the information that's appropriate for your age. As you get right. older, I'll give you more detail. But I think you're, you're wise to kind of highlight... This isn't an event. It's right. it's like a lot of other concepts we teach our kids, which is like over our lifetime. Part of normalizing it is saying we're having conversation about this because it, it right. normalizing it is like is what we're trying to do, right? How do you normalize conversation so it's right. authentic and real? So I think a good example that I often use when I'm talking to like my friends who are parents of especially youngsters 
are like, we start teaching our, our kids body parts, right? So this is my nose. This is my head. This is my stomach. Oftentimes parents will, because they, they either don't know what to call it or feel they, the parent feels uncomfortable. So they won't mention things like vulva or penis. Like those body parts completely get either, you know, disregarded when we're teaching other body parts or they sometimes get called like funny names, like hoo-ha or down there or private parts. But that sends a message to our kids, right? In that moment, like if we are ashamed of ta- of like naming those parts, their, their real names, we are in- inherently sending a message, probably a message that we don't intend to send, that those parts are something to feel shame around. Those parts are something um, that we don't talk about because we don't talk about that. Like, it just becomes like a, it can become, I think, a culture in that family. Um, and I often talk about like naming body parts too, because we also know that children who know the technical names of their body parts are better able to report if somebody is touching those parts inappropriately. And we obviously like, that is something as, you know, again, folks that care about little ones, we want to make sure like that's, you know, we're protecting our youngsters as well. So again, it's like age appropriate. And, you know, if we have a young a young child who's asking like, where do babies come from? If they're three, we don't have to be like, well, there's a sperm and there's an egg. Like that's a little too much for them, but we can just say like, saying in mommy's belly is okay. And then we can like readdress that as they get older and they're able to understand more complex information, just like we would with anything else, right? We're not going to start having a two-year-old count to 5,000. We're going to have them start counting to 10. Like, <laughs> just an example. <laughs> Dr. Zongo, let me let me ask you this. Let's drill down on this just a little bit. I yeah. you know I totally agree with you and uh, want to also highlight the ongoing discussion piece. With that theme in mind, is this something that you want to bring up to your kids? Is it something that you wait for your kids to say, you know, mommy, daddy, what's a penis? And then a second part just on that as well, and this is something that I've even I've struggled with. Um, is some of the more difficult concepts. So I think explaining about a penis, vagina, about sex, where babies come from, that seems very natural. But then there's some other topics like masturbation and Mm -hmm. pornography and things that are even more uncomfortable, if you will, than sort of, uh, you know, sex itself. So I'm just wondering, I guess with all that in mind, is this something that you uh, bring up, you suggest bringing up to, to kids or waiting till they uh, prompt you and then kind of explain. And then how do you kind of broach some of these more sensitive sexual topics, if you will? Yeah, I, I think when we can have kids lead the way is the best, or I think it can be a really helpful strategy. And I say that being very mindful that that's not necessarily say the same as kids will ask because they might not ask directly, but if we're paying attention to things our youngsters are giggling about with like their friend, like if we, you know, see them giggling behind the piano or something like that, kind of trying to see like, what are y'all talking about over there? Things we notice them giggling about on TV or asking about or being paying attention to or on their, you know, that they're reading or things like that. So again, like, cause even with the body part example, like it doesn't necessarily have to be like that junior was like, what's a peanut, but like you're, you're integrating that into other conversations that you're having because you're, you're teaching about elbows and like knees and penises, like, cause they just kind of, you know, are integrated into everything like that. So for, and, you know, I think these days too, like 
I actually just had a friend recently who, you know, noticed on their son's search engine on their iPad that there were some sexual topics. Excellent time to like start having those conversations because we understand at this point he's curious. So like, how can we, and obviously in a way that doesn't like make him feel bad for looking that stuff up because it is very natural to be curious, but obviously like curiosity is happening. So like, let's illuminate some of those topics that he's curious about. I mean, I think you really hit on something is when we, when you think about the world we live in, sexuality is all around us. It's on the internet, it's on social media, it's in our advertising, it's everywhere. And I think that's a wonderful example of like, when you see something like that, that's actually a signal of curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's not a reason for shame. It's not a reason for accusation. It's really just like, this is what curiosity does. And, and, you know, kids go where curiosity brings them. And most kids have access to the internet right now. And I think when you think about that, it does change the conversation. Doesn't it change it a little bit? It gives a focus to the conversation. So the conversation, the focus of the conversation isn't about like, hello, son, we're here to have this conversation. It's like, hey, I noticed this. No wonder you're looking at this. Like this, obviously, like I can appreciate why you're looking at this. Like, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? What can we, and then like, that's a great conversation. Like, let's talk about what you might've found by looking at this. Cause I definitely think like, we did mention like, especially with the access to the internet, like media literacy is going to be super, super important to anyone that's growing up with this access to the internet. You know, so saying like, you probably, you might've seen things, this, this isn't what real life looks like. You know what I mean? Like just having that. So again, like children aren't thinking that what they're seeing in the media, whether it be the internet, or like you said, even like advertisements, like that's not real life, right? That's entertainment. That's not education. So making that very clear, I think from the get-go is super important. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Zongle. And I think along those lines too, let me ask you, uh, one other question uh, related to sexuality and gender expression. So I think that these are also sensitive topics. And of course, in the mainstream media and all around us, how does, how does as a parent, how would you suggest broaching uh, sexuality, gender expression, uh, et cetera? So again, I, I almost think it's not like a, a moment, a big moment where we like sit junior down and are like, let's talk about gender. But like, looking at the things that the children are like gearing towards or like that are attracted to. Um, And I mean that in terms of everything. So giving them options, I think is really helpful, not making a lot of choices for them. Um, When we talk about, especially thinking about like gender identity and expression in children, I think those options are really important because we have seen that children who aren't able to that don't feel as though their gender identity and expression has been authentic in their experience of living, feel more shame, um, experience more trauma. We could talk, you know, about all the statistics about higher levels of like depression and anxiety and mental health as they grow up. So letting them again, like choose how they express themselves is different to me, creates more of a culture where there's an understanding that these things are accepted, which is different to me than having a conversation about it. Although conversations are also important. Does that make sense? It does. It's kind of more about the modeling than the actual like words we're using. Right. And I think, I think it's important to acknowledge though, that when you don't allow children to have conversations about gender expression, when you don't have children a chance to actually have these conversations, you know, you do see children have more anxiety, depression. We see mental illness come on, suicide attempts. It really gets problematic. And I think it just, 
it brings me to another dynamic in our conversation. We live in a culture that we're not comfortable talking about sex, mm. period. The end. And it, shame comes into the conversation, quite frankly, I think more than it needs to. And, and the word shame has come up in our brief conversation. So how does that factor into the conversations about <sighs> shame? I hate that we have to talk about shame so much when we talk about sexuality, but I love that it is becoming more of a commonplace that folks are like recognizing um, and talking about areas of shame because I can almost bet almost every single person I've ever talked to about thinking back to when they were a child and how it relates to sexuality had at least one instance where they were shamed or felt shame about something. Um, and that's sad. Right? <laughs> like We don't want that, whether it's, you know, that they were caught looking at magazines or some other like information and they weren't supposed to be or whether they were caught like touching themselves we talked about masturbation and they were told not to whether they walked in on someone else you know having intercourse and I, and or I think, like that and i think shame is important to talk about because i think you know we think about how shame affects a child is like yeah. sometimes shame gives you a permanent long-lasting memory yes. that's negative yeah really when what we're looking for is just answering curiosity and you know when you think right. about how do we pivot it from a negative long-lasting memory as a parent to like, hey, let me answer your curiosity. Let me teach you. Let me do what parents do best, which is let me teach you about a topic you're obviously curious about and do it in a way that makes you feel normal, respected. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just a way to kind of through this a little bit. Dr. Chan, back to you. Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald. Uh, let me ask you this. This is something, Dr. Zongle, that I hear from parents at times and something as a parent, again, of a 10 and 14-year-old that uh, I've wondered <laughs> in the past. But, uh, you know, something that occasionally comes up is are there any negatives to having these kinds of conversations? Is it ever too early or too late? I think one thing we hear uh, from some parents and and some people is that you know we shouldn't be talking about sex that it's that it's uh, you know that it should be left to to families or it's just it, it, it kind of goes back to that shame and stigma. But and it, by talking about sex, we promote sex, right? That we right. are encouraging our young kids to have sex or be curious about it. How would you answer some of those concerns? So the first thing I would say is that all the research that has ever been shown, at least that has come across like my desk that has talked about comprehensive sex education is that sex education, talking about sex, conversations about sex do not promote or have um, sexual activity happen any sooner than it would have if they didn't. And usually when that's, and Dr. Chan, you can talk about this too, I'm sure. Usually when that sexual activity does happen, and when I'm talking about sexual activity, to be fair, I usually use a much broader term, but I'm going to talk about things like intercourse, oral sex, anal sex, things that can cause things like, you know, unwanted outcomes like STIs, pregnancy, things like that. Usually what we find is that when children, adolescents have these conversations early and often, they are more likely to engage in risk reduction behaviors when they do become sexually active. So they use more condoms, more birth control, things like that. So in terms of health outcomes, because we are here talking about health, right? Usually those conversations are health promoting rather than, you know, having, like you just mentioned, like having uh, adolescents have sex earlier than they would have without those conversations. So there is no correlation between talking about it um, and actual behavior, which is really exciting. So I don't think it's ever too early to have the conversation as long as those talks, like I was mentioning before, are like age appropriate. So again, you're not going to sit a three-year-old down and be like, here's how you use a dental dam to, pre <laughs> to prevent STIs during oral sex, right? That's not age appropriate. Um, but I, I think they can be started almost 
you know, through every life stage of development. Yeah. And I think from my standpoint too, you know, as a, as a large part of what I do in terms of STIs, you know, I think when we talk about adverse things that can happen, certainly not being empowered, not knowing uh, tools to protect yourself, you know, STIs, you know, HIV, uh, certainly gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, a lot of these STIs can be devastating and lead to things like infertility and other yes. really adverse, um, uh, you know, long-term complications. Right. So, but Dr. McDonald, what are your thoughts on this subject? Well, I think that's kind of important is, you know, when you, you want to have a conversation with your children, answer questions that are age appropriate. Part of it too is, you know, just helping people develop normally, normalize conversations. You know, we're trying people to have healthy, long-term, sexually healthy relationships. I think the other thing we're trying to do is just acknowledge that we do want to prevent sexually transmitted infections. Um, it, it's not healthy. And we want to preserve people's emotional well-being as well. So when important space to thing? be in, yeah, Sorry. please do. I was going to say like, it isn't even, I don't even think of it as all physical, like you're mentioning, like you're mentioning emotional. So we also know that um, kids that are taught about sex and how to like advocate for their needs and what feels good and what doesn't and what they do like and what they don't like um, in every sense of the word, you know, even like, don't touch me, don't push me, don't right? Like they are also more likely, like you were mentioning Dr. Chan to advocate for themselves for safe sex, but also in terms of like, you know, pleasurable sex and sex that sex that feels good instead of feeling bad or harmful and things like that as well. So, and we, you know, can get into like consent and be, again, it could, it could go on. <laughs> and I know we don't have all the well, time. But well, we're going to go on. Physical. We're going to go on soon. We're going to go on Yay. next week because we're bringing our, <laughs> our episode to a close today. And it's been great to talk to Dr. Colby Zongle. And really, we talked a little bit about how to have a conversation with your children about sex, how to answer questions and really how to approach that. But I, our next episode is going to be coming on next week, talking about how do you talk to your partner about sex, intimacy? I think it's going to be very interesting. We have a tradition at Public Health Out Loud. We go to Dr. Chan to give us the final word. Dr. Chan, what's the final word today? Great. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you, Dr. Zongle, for joining us. Much appreciated. And thank we will you be for having me. thrilled to have you back for next week to, to, to further talk about this topic. Excited. But in closing, I do want to leave our listeners with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is. Love yourself and the rest will follow from the Buddha. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.